Support for The Facing Project comes from Behavior Associates, providing intensive therapy, individualized academic instruction, and social skills training for children with autism. Behavior Associates analysts develop an individualized treatment plan for each child receiving services. Presenting sponsor of The Facing Project, more at BehaviorABA.com. Jealousy is an emotion that everyone has experienced at one time or another. But if not controlled, jealousy could lead to other feelings and actions, such as embarrassment, depression, low self-esteem, or even anger. But with jealousy being a natural emotion, how does one turn it off when feelings begin to escalate? Or how does one turn the table and use these feelings for good? I'm J.R. Jameson. Today on The Facing Project, we'll explore this question through stories, and I'll sit down with world-renowned social psychologist Dr. Robert Bringle to discuss his research on jealousy and close relationships and what to do when jealousy strikes. If I close my eyes tight enough, I can almost be transported back in time to the late 1980s and the first time I experienced jealousy. Or was it envy? Or was it envy that led to jealousy? Well, the truth is, folks confuse these two words on the regular, but they're actually extremely different emotions. One easy way to remember the difference is that envy is the feeling of wanting something that someone else has be it an opportunity, an experience, or a physical attribute. For instance, I'm constantly envious that my husband is really good at business. He's just a business-minded person, and he's a bit envious of my storytelling abilities. So in some ways, our envy cancels itself out, but it still exists. Jealousy, on the other hand, is feeling threatened or fearful because you believe something you already have is going to be taken away. The website language tool makes it really easy to understand. It takes two to be envious and three to be jealous. But we'll talk more about this difference later on when I chat with Dr. Robert Bringle. So, with confidence, I can say that when I close my eyes really tightly and find myself transported back to the late 1980s, the emotion I felt was indeed jealousy. It was a sticky afternoon in the depths of summer, the kind where running through ice-cold hose water or jumping into a pool is the only escape, and I wanted nothing more than to do just that at my best friend's house. His parents had an above-ground, four-feet-deep rectangular swimming pool with a lounge deck and volleyball net. For beach balls only, of course, not really volleyball, and I was envious of that pool. I used to beg my parents for hours on end to get our own, but that's another story for another day. On that particular day in the late 1980s, my friend didn't invite me over to swim. Even when I called to invite myself, his mom said he wasn't feeling well. But can I come over to swim, even if he can't come outside? I said. No, sweetie, his mom said. You'll need to come another day. Later, I learned that he was not only not sick, but he had invited the new kid in the neighborhood over to swim instead of me. My face became hot, my breathing labored, I was livid, and I was also jealous. What I feared more than melting down into a puddle of sweat on that hot summer day was being replaced by the new kid. My friend with the pool was my best friend, and if I fell out of favor, I could lose not only my standing as the best friend, but also the pool, camping trips, skipping rocks in the creek, and so much more that defined our friendship, and what I thought were moments that could only be shared between the two of us. 
Of course, we grew from those fifth graders into teens and eventually adults. And that moment suspended in time now seems so frivolous to me. But it stays in my memory because it was the first time I had that feeling. But it wasn't the last. Jealousy is a normal emotion that we all experience. But knowing how to manage it is important to your own mental and physical health. Otherwise, jealousy could lead to depression, low self-esteem, or even anger and emotional or physical violence. But with jealousy being a natural emotion, how does one turn it off when feelings begin to escalate? Or how does one turn the table and use these feelings for good? Today on The Facing Project, we'll hear from two women who learned firsthand what happens when jealousy turns to anger, manipulation, and alienation in romantic relationships. And I'll sit down with world-renowned social psychologist Dr. Robert Bringle to discuss his research on jealousy and close relationships and what to do when jealousy strikes. Due to strong language and content that may be disturbing to some, listener discretion is advised. Concerns of a Friend Ashley's story is told by Aaron Lichtenfeld, performed by Katie Lynn Wolf. My best friend, who I'll call Beth, is one of the most sincere and intellectual people that I know. She has always battled internally. When we met in middle school, she contemplated taking her life. And as we started high school, I began to notice more changes in her, especially around our last two years. She ate less and less and took up cross-country. And then she met her first boyfriend, John. John was different. He seemed very charming and had a witty personality. When they began dating, she told me he was just like me, but in guy form. She was happy that they were so compatible. I was happy for her, too. I was. Until things started to change. I began to see Beth less and less, and she started acting more reclusive. I assumed it was because she was happy in her relationship with John, so I tried to remain happy for them. That was not the case. Things went from being lighthearted and fun to serious very quickly, and not in a good way. There were times when he would force intimacy by choking her while saying she was the only one for him. And she began to realize just how volatile the relationship was becoming. She tried to leave. The first time was not successful. John started to get upset and claimed that she was the only one to make him cry when they got married and had children, not while they were only dating. So she stayed. For a while, Beth and I stopped talking. She distanced herself so much from me that I couldn't break through her wall. Around this time, I found out that she had started talking to our old friend Chuck. She reached out to him for support, but it became more between the two of them. Over the next couple of weeks, our friendship seemed like it had gone back to normal. Beth was also able to get closer to Chuck. The beginning of their relationship went well, except her ex-boyfriend John was stalking her. So she changed her number a couple of times, but that didn't matter. He would find a way to get her new number. Then he started making numerous fake accounts on social media and kept adding her, and he would have his friends drive to her house so they could try talking to her. During one instance, Chuck was leaving when John and his friend pulled up. Beth told Chuck to go inside, and she told John to leave. But he had a meltdown and stayed on her property for a while before he finally left. The two wouldn't see John again, but he would be a constant source for their fighting. 
when the two would fight, Chuck would tell Beth he wished she and John never dated. He also wished that he could have been her first and only partner. When she would try to talk to other male friends, Chuck would get jealous. I mean, really jealous. He was very insecure, and then he started accusing her of talking to John again. I stepped in during one of those fights, and Chuck went off and told me to mind my own business and called me horrible names. Things were resolved for a while, but another fight happened during my graduation open house. Chuck said that I had lied about the way he had talked to me, and he punched a hole in the wall. The two left. A couple of weeks later, I broke up with my boyfriend and was seeking Beth's support. She said she would come over that night, but never did. I was distraught because my best friend wasn't there for me in my time of need. A couple of days went by, and she sent me a text. I decided that it was too late, and I couldn't be supportive of her or her relationship with Chuck anymore. We wouldn't speak for two years. I started college that fall and tried to focus on making new friends. One night, I decided to creep on Chuck's profile. One of his main pictures was of my ex and me. Chuck and his friends wrote horrendous comments underneath, which made me super upset. Beth had joined in too. Seeing that made it easier to distance myself during those two years. When we did start talking again, I knew things wouldn't be the same. I made some changes and noticed many changes in Beth as well, but she wasn't as happy-go-lucky as she used to be, and she looked different too. Now I couldn't pinpoint it. As we started getting more comfortable with each other, she began to open up. She told me about an instance in which she tried dumping Chuck. He held a knife to his throat and said that he would kill himself if the two weren't together. There have been more instances that have occurred since we have been friends again. During one, Beth was babysitting and Chuck came over to confront her about something he saw on social media. He accused her of liking his friend and became so enraged that he took her new iPod and broke it. Whenever Beth and I hang out, Chuck will call both of us to make sure she's with me. She seldom leaves her house. She has few friends because her relationship isolates her. She was working and going to school but had to quit due to stress and anxiety. Sometimes I look at her and see the person that I was once friends with. Those moments are rare, though. She and Chuck seem so unhappy. They don't show affection and they make snide remarks to one another. I've asked them about their future plans and they never know how to respond. I wonder what will happen to their relationship down the road. I hope that she will be able to leave Chuck and find someone who can appreciate her, but I know that may never happen. As hard as this experience has been for me to witness, it has served as a learning experience. My hope is for people to realize the signs of an unhealthy relationship, to see how jealousy can lead to anger and eventually hurt. And also, I hope that anyone who hears this story is able to reflect deeply and find their own self-worth. Suffering in Silence, Alicia's story as told to Brianna Thompson, performed by Tiffany Irk. I'm what you might call a secondhand victim of domestic violence. 
No, I haven't personally experienced physical or emotional abuse, but one of my friends has. And her injuries and ongoing problems continue to affect my life because I care about what happens to her and her young daughter. I first met Alicia when we were both students at Northside Middle School in Muncie. A mutual friend introduced us, and the three of us enjoyed hanging out, watching basketball games on TV, and eating at Applebee's. You could say we were pretty normal teenagers. But later, when we were students at Muncie Central, life changed for Alicia. She started dating an older guy from Indianapolis, and they got serious very fast. During our senior year, she got pregnant and had a daughter. Then, right after graduation, she left Indiana for Texas, where she lived with her boyfriend and his family. We didn't know it then, but she had been in an abusive relationship almost from the start. Her boyfriend was always jealous, not only of other guys, but even when Alicia would hang out with me. He would try to control what clothes she wore. He said things to make her feel bad about herself, like, you'll be a terrible mother. He was always cursing at her. Alicia returned to Muncie a couple of years ago, and that's when I learned that the abuse had progressed to physical violence. We both worked for the same daycare facility, and one day she told me that he had hit her in the face, bloodying her nose. Another day she showed up at work with a black eye. I couldn't understand why she continued to have him in her life, especially when she admitted that she was scared of him. She also said she had stopped loving him long ago, but she put up with him because she needed him to help care for her daughter. My other friend and I tried to get her to see how manipulative he was. We told her to get a restraining order. She acted like she wasn't going to put up with his behavior, but then we'd hear another story, like the time six months ago when he busted up her apartment, putting holes in the walls and breaking her TV. It's so frustrating because she knows she's in a dangerous situation. I'm afraid for her and her daughter, but she continues to stay. And the sad thing is that Alicia is not the only one from my high school who was in an abusive dating relationship. Too many girls are. Too many of them stay with their abusers. When I'm asked what I can do to help other young women be empowered, I tell them to watch for the warning signs early in a relationship. If the guy is possessive, controlling, or jealous in any way, watch out. If the guy says negative things to you and then tries to say he was only joking, watch out. If he pushes you or does anything physically that makes you feel uncomfortable, get out. All of these are warning signs. Tell someone you know, a parent, a guardian, a friend, a teacher. Tell someone, anyone. You don't have to suffer in silence. If you or someone you know is a victim of domestic violence, you don't have to suffer in silence. Help is available 24 hours a day, seven days a week through the National Domestic Violence Hotline at 1-800-799-7233 or by texting START, S-T-A-R-T, to 88788. Support for The Facing Project comes from Behavior Associates, providing intensive therapy, individualized academic instruction, and social skills training for children with autism. 
Behavior Associates analysts develop an individualized treatment plan for each child receiving services. Presenting sponsor of The Facing Project, more at BehaviorABA.com. I want to welcome to the show Dr. Robert Bringle, Chancellor's Professor Emeritus of Psychology and Philanthropic Studies at IUPUI, and a world-renowned researcher on close relationships and jealousy. Dr. Bringle was the Visiting Distinguished Professor of Psychology at Appalachian State University from 2012 to 2015, and prior to that, he served as the Executive Director of the IUPUI Center for Service and Learning from 1994 to 2012. And in full transparency, Dr. Bringle and I have known each other for over 20 years, but this is the first time we've sat down together to discuss his research on close relationships and jealousy. Dr. Bringle, thank you for joining me. Thank you very much for inviting me. First, I want to acknowledge that jealousy and envy are not the same, though many people get this wrong, but envy could lead to jealousy. Tell me more. Yes. As an academic, we have differentiated jealousy from envy and both of those from rivalry. Jealousy is a three-person type of social situation in which the jealous person has a pre-existing relationship to somebody. Envy is oftentimes a two-person situation. So I could be envious of your good looks. I could be envious of the money you have. It could be a three-person situation. I could be envious of the relationship you have with your father. You Mm. seem to have a good relationship with your father. I don't, and I could be envious of that. Both of those are different from rivalry. Rivalry is when... neither of two persons have an existing relationship and they're rivals to establish a relationship. Mm. Now, the common confusion for jealousy and envy is that jealousy is applied to envy situations, but almost never is envy applied to jealousy situations. Mm. So I might say I'm jealous of your good looks when really I mean I'm envious of your good looks. Now, having differentiated those three, here's what happens. Sometimes they're all embedded in the same situation. So let's take the prototypic romantic jealousy evoking situation in which a romantic partner has an extra marital relationship. That would evoke jealousy Mm. because it threatens the primary relationship that's pre-existing. It also might precipitate envy. The person might be envious of what their partner has done, the fun they've had, the sexual excitement they've had, and it might create rivalry. Now you and the other third person are rivals for the attention of uh, your romantic partner. So, but yes, jealousy and envy are viewed as distinct. Well, so they coexist and and it's rather dynamic. It really can be a three-pronged thing, as you're saying. Yes. When I hear the phrase close relationships and jealousy, my mind always goes to the romantic. But jealousy exists in friendships and among colleagues. What does that look like? And how is it different from jealousy that exists in romantic relationships? You're exactly right. Jealousy can exist in social relationships, friendships. It can exist in family relationships. And it can exist in romantic relationships. Uh, and um, any of these uh, can be uh, precipitators of the emotional reactions we see with jealousy, which are being sad, being angry, feeling threatened, being anxious, 
but clearly it's the prototypic romantic jealousy that gets almost all the attention. When I started studying jealousy, one of my contributions was to develop a measure of jealousy that included work situations, friendship situations, and family situations, in addition to romantic hmm. situations. Uh, generally, what we find is that the emotional responses to non-romantic jealousy situations aren't as intense or as they're not as extreme. Um, it seems like the romantic jealousy situations are very powerful and gut-wrenching and can have catastrophic ripple effects on the relationship. Hmm. Is jealousy a normal feeling to have? And if so, at what point does it switch from normal behavior to something more sinister like you were just talking about? Yeah, it's easy to think about relationships and jealousy as being a positive outcome or a negative outcome. Let me illustrate positive. You perceive a threat to a relationship you really care about, and it makes you angry, it upsets you, and you want to do something about it. So you confront your partner with it, you have conversations and discussions about it, and it strengthens that primary relationship. Mm. But as you all know, <laughs> it can destroy that primary relationship. It can result in uh, abuse. It can result in murder. As a matter of fact, jealousy can be um, a precipitating event for severe domestic violence. So um, I think it becomes problematic when it doesn't produce those positive outcomes. I think it can be problematic when the person is hypervigilant and hypersensitive about any little thing that might be happen happening uh, with the partner. Well, the partner seemed to be really engaged in that conversation at that party. Mm -hmm. What we find is people who are prone to jealous responses overinterpret those little events. They take them as very personal. They overgeneralize the implications of it. And that can be problematic if it's always a nuisance in a relationship or even more severe than just a nuisance. It's, it's disrupting the relationship regularly. Mm. Well, since jealousy tends to center itself on losing something, be it power like we've talked about or a person or a relationship, and it almost always manifests into resentment, or at least it seems that way, how do those in close relationships salvage what they once had when jealousy strikes? Yeah, I think it can be viewed as an opportunity, as I mentioned previously, for the person to examine their level of commitment to the primary relationship, mm -hmm. to um, examine that with your partner and see if it's reciprocated, and in some ways then to strengthen that commitment. You mentioned power, and that turns out to be a very important factor a relationship factor in jealousy. Mm. There's something called Waller's principle of least interest. And Waller's principle of least interest says the person with the least interest in a relationship has the most power. Mm. That means the opposite of that is the person with the most interest in the relationship has the least power. They have 
the biggest commitment, the biggest investment, and the most to lose. And what we found in our research is the relationships differ in their capacity to evoke jealousy. And the distribution of power turns out to be an important precipitant of jealousy responses, that when individuals are in relationships in which there's unequal power, they feel more vulnerable and they're more likely to get upset about events that occur in that relationship. Mm -hmm. Thinking about that power dynamic, if not control, jealousy could actually lead to other feelings and actions, such as embarrassment, depression, codependency, low self-esteem. And as we heard within the stories today, even anger and emotional or physical abuse. With jealousy being such an innate emotion, how does one turn it off or turn the table and use it for good? Yes, it's very clear that anger is the dominant emotion uh, when somebody is jealous, and they may keep that to themselves, they may express it, have an argument, confront the partner. Um, I think it's important to acknowledge that there are multiple determinants of jealousy. It used to be, and this goes back into the 50s and 60s, when you look at articles in women's magazines that talked about jealousy, the um, issue was there's something wrong with me if I'm jealous. And it could be that it, there are individual personality attributes that feed jealousy. Uh, low self-esteem would be one that can be a internal determinant of jealousy, being insecure, being very emotional. I've also mentioned that there can be relationship characteristics that can produce jealousy or feed jealousy like um, distribution of power. Mm -hmm. And then there are certainly extra relationship events that occur. So if somebody comes up and hits on your romantic partner or your best friend, you feel threatened, mm -hmm. um, that's a real threat and deserves or some sort of response. Mm -hmm. So one of the ways in which I think individuals can help themselves when they're experiencing jealousy is to do an analysis of what is contributing to those negative emotional feelings that they're experiencing. Mm -hmm. Is it me and my hypersensitivity? Is it the nature of our relationship? Is it an event that warrants or deserves being vigilant? Mm -hmm. And to sort out different possibilities for why they're experiencing that jealousy and then to see how they can focus on the primary cause well if it's an external event somebody hitting on a romantic partner well let's deal with that if it's the power distribution in the relationship let's talk about that mm -hmm. and if it's me and my insecurities well let me critically examine them and maybe make adjustments to how I'm interpreting events that are precipitating the jealousy. Are there superhumans out there, those people who just don't get jealous? It's interesting. When I started my research on jealousy, I mentioned to my father that I'm studying jealousy, and he made the following comment. He said, your mother and I never experienced jealousy. Wow. Because we were secure with our commitment to each other. Well, that's a very healthy 
mm-hmm. type of relationship to be in. Now, there are always uncertainties about a relationship and where it's going, but uh, what he expressed is a very affirming mm-hmm. perspective on their relationship and the lack of jealousy wasn't a problem. Mm. It was, in fact, an attribute of the strength the relationship had. However, the lack of jealousy can be diagnostic of problems in relationships. Mm. How I've described jealousy as a protective response that's a protective of a relationship you care about can be very healthy. But if you don't care, mm-hmm. if you're apathetic, if you aren't sure of the future of the relationship and don't want to protect it, then the lack of jealousy might be symptomatic of other deeper issues. So, again, just like we can envision that the presence of jealousy can be positive and negative, the absence of jealousy mm-hmm. can be positive and negative in its um, clarification of what's going on in the relationship. Mm-hmm. And it could be, too, if one side of a partnership is saying, oh, jealousy doesn't exist here. We don't know that from the other partner, right? The other partner may feel that there is jealousy. So in some ways, it could also be a lack of self-awareness, too, in some ways. So if jealousy is negatively impacting someone's life, what would you say to them or where would you tell them to turn? Yeah, I think, uh, as I've illustrated with the multiple causes of jealousy, there's some reflection an assessment that an individual can do and then take appropriate steps. I think it's also important to acknowledge that jealousy may be the symptom, but there may be underlying deeper issues in a relationship that also deserve attention. And there are a lot of self-help books and self-help resources that um, may be appropriate um, to help improve a relationship and strengthen it. And then there's also counseling that may be recommended where both partners go for relationship counseling to get help with an analysis of what are the strengths of this relationship? What are the shortcomings? How can we both improve? And um, so having a third person help with um, an examination of jealousy and deeper issues can be very helpful. That could be a friend, it could be a minister, it could be a professional counselor, but they um, can provide uh, insights sometimes that can be helpful to a couple. Mm. Dr. Robert Bringle, Chancellor's Professor Emeritus of Psychology and Philanthropic Studies at IUPUI and a world-renowned researcher on close relationships and jealousy. Thank you for joining me on The Facing Project. Thank you for having me. Stories from today's episode came from Facing Teen Dating Violence in East Central Indiana. We want to think a better way for organizing this Facing Project. Concerns of a Friend was written in collaboration with Aaron Lichtenfeld and was performed by Katie Lynn Wolf. Suffering in Silence was written in collaboration with Brianna Thompson and was performed by Tiffany Irk. To listen to past episodes of this program, visit indianapublicradio.org slash thefacingproject. From there, you can subscribe to the podcast where you'll get episodes of The Facing Project delivered to your device each month. Or just ask your smart speaker to play The Facing Project on NPR. 
Listeners can contribute stories or volunteer to share the stories of others that may appear on the show. More information at facingproject.com. To continue the conversation about this episode, find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at The Facing Project. The Facing Project is recorded at Indiana Public Radio at Ball State University in beautiful and wonderful Muncie, Indiana. And it's produced by the amazing producer and sound engineer extraordinaire, Sean Ashcraft. The show is distributed nationally through PRX. I'm your host, J.R. Jameson. And until next time, I wish you the courage to share your own story and the empathy to listen to others. Support for The Facing Project comes from Behavior Associates, providing intensive therapy, individualized academic instruction, and social skills training for children with autism. Behavior Associates analysts develop an individualized treatment plan for each child receiving services. Presenting sponsor of The Facing Project, more at behavioraba.com.